Well, it's, it's time. Welcome. Can you guys hear me okay, or do I need to use a mic? Can you, can you hear me okay? And I, I think as I warm up, I'll, uh, I'll speak louder, I hope. Uh, welcome. Uh, I'm glad you... Uh, I heard this is like the first session, so uh, thank you for coming in and for coming in early. And uh, uh, it's just an honor and a privilege to be uh, here and to... Uh, uh, talk about an important topic uh, that's uh, uh, not much highlighted in our uh, Christian medical arena, so I'm, I'm glad you guys are here. So let me uh, lead us in a word of prayer, and then we can start. Dear Father, uh, we thank you for uh, bringing us here from different walks of life, and different circumstances, uh, thank you for uh, being in our midst, and thank you for working in our lives and our hearts um, against uh, many odds, and uh, I thank you for each and every one in this room, um, and I thank you because I know you have something uh, special and personal um, that you want to say to each one of us, so we're here waiting for you, God. Um, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So let me ask a couple of questions before we get started. Let me have a show of hands of, like, students, medical nursing PA students, okay? Almost everybody. Anyone had a prior um, experience working in developing countries? Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Uh, anyone contemplating at this point? Yay. Oh, good. Oh, that's, that's exciting. Um, okay. I, um, I want to do something different. It's unconventional, and um, it's very difficult for me, but uh, I feel I owe it to uh, someone who's, uh, who happens to be my mom. Uh, she uh, unexpectedly went to heaven uh, a month ago, and... Uh, uh, that's her, and that's a picture of my parents. Um, she um, has been always a light, um, uh, a virtuous woman of God, and one who uh, radiated and reflected uh, Christ uh, in most difficult circumstances when uh, many would have thrown the towel uh, throughout her life. Um, so... Uh, I know she was, uh, she is in heaven watching uh, over us, but she, uh, she has been my best friend, my anchor, my cheerleader, my uh, supporter, the reason I'm here with you. Um, uh, so she was excited about this conference, and she has been excited since, since I've been, yeah, I started coming um, uh, in 2014, so uh, um, she was hoping to be here this year, but um, she's a I guess, watching in a better place. So she's been, I'll just um, give you a little bit of a, a, a kind of trying to show her off here. <laughs> she, um, she spoke three languages fluently, um, traveled in all six continents in ministry, and she was received by dignitaries, but in utmost humility. Uh, she reflected Christ uh, with unwavering uh, uh, dedication and love, and she... Um, um, I might get, get a chance at the end to talk about this picture, but she conceived um, 
a, a project to care for adolescent girls who are marginalized and live in urban slums in, um, in, in areas in Cairo where no one, uh, no outsiders dares to, to get there. So she's been doing this for 30 years on her own. Before computers were out, she would kind of write things and with her hands and kind of take it out there. So um, anyways, I just want to dedicate this um, presentation in her uh, it's not yet a memory. She's alive and uh, in her honor. So um, let's see what we're going to um, talk about this evening. So I'm going to um, kind of give you a quick overview of sexual and reproductive health. Um, you think you should cover this topic in medical school or nursing school or in, you, you think you might have, or in uh, PA um, education, but Wait till you graduate and get out and practice, and you will be surprised. So we're going to talk about this whole scenario, and I'll show you, um, uh, give you the uh, most updated um, uh, epidata from um, uh, WHO and, um, uh, and the like, CDC and whatnot, um, on issues that uh, uh, sexual and reproductive health issues uh, facing vulnerable uh, people around the world. Um, and we will discuss the uh, contextual determinants, what causes um, this, what are the factors that come into play and cause this, um, uh, these uh, disparities and discrepancies. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about, uh, surprise, the gaps in Western um, clinical, medical, um, nursing training and education in, in terms of addressing uh, sexual reproductive health. And then I will give you some resources and I will um, we'll talk about how to equip yourselves to bridge this gap in, when and if you choose to, um, uh, you know, pursue this um, exciting uh, world that's uh, awaiting, awaiting for you. So in other words, what do you have? I'll show you what, what you might have in your golden platter that you're not aware of. Um, so, um, so we'll um, uh, talk about sexual and reproductive health. Um, uh, you might have heard of the uh, definition of health, uh, the uh, WHO definition of health um, that uh, um, kind of shifted from the dichotomy of presence or absence of disease. Uh, a healthy person, it's a, a state of well-being, socially, mentally, physically, not merely the absence of disease. The same concept applies on uh, sexual and reproductive health. It's not the absence of a um, uh, reproductive health issue, um, a miscarriage or a, an STI or an HIV AIDS uh, condition, but uh, it is the overall um, uh, wellness uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, your sexual and your reproductive health uh, life and practices. So in 19, just kind of a, little, a little bit of a history, in 1994, there was a paradigm shift where um, a, an international uh, conference, population conference was held in Cairo, Egypt, that's my home country, uh, my native country, and um, uh, that uh, kind of called attention from all over the world and where the, uh, uh, these concepts and definitions started to uh, uh, be articulated, and um, so they decided on six core functions of sexual and uh, reproductive health services that should be available um, and uh, um, 
accessible uh, with equity uh, all over the place. So uh, improving uh, some, some of these you take for granted if you've never been out, out, outside of the U.S. Uh, if you had um, delivered the baby, if uh, someone in the family had a baby, uh, um, antenatal, prenatal, postpartum, each one of these um, uh, elements um, in, in, in care could be totally lost uh, elsewhere um, in, in other uh, poor resource countries. Uh, providing high quality services for family planning, including, including infertility services. When you think about uh, uh, women who have no control um, uh, over, you know, the size um, of their family and they might have uh, six, eight, ten pregnancies um, with a year or two apart and uh, consequences, you go figure, like you do the math. And I've seen uh, loads of these uh, issues um, or tragedies rather in my practice. Eliminating unsafe abortion, um, again, uh, uh, it's uh, illegal in many countries in the Middle East, and in particular for the exception of Tunisia, uh, uh, abortion is illegal and people resort to it all the time. Um, uh, uh, combating uh, STIs, sexually transmitted infections, and HIV AIDS, we'll see the challenge, urinary tract infections, um, uh, and also promoting sexual health, which is virtually non-existent uh, in other parts of the world, and increasing the capacity to uh, force research uh, to learn more about the problems and the best uh, evidence-based interventions to address them. So these are the core competencies or core services of sexual productive health. Um, now, in terms of like global unmet needs, um, you know, they come in different shapes and forms, but we can kind of focus on three um, uh, categories or three uh, levels of unmet needs in equalities, inequality to access uh, uh, sexual productive health services, uh, education and information. For example, adolescents in uh, uh, the Middle East or um, some African countries or Asian countries, I, um, they uh, virtually have no... Uh, uh, even it's unthinkable for them. Um, I remember uh, once I was at the, um, I, I worked for WHO and I was delivering a course in the uh, Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine in uh, Liverpool, England, home of the Beatles. I got to see the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, anyway, so they, uh, I had a, um, one of my students who is a, um, uh, health uh, professional, uh, an, an OBGYN director of a unit in, uh, in, a, in a, uh, a city in Indonesia. And she, for the first like three, four days, she had a hard time saying sexual health. Like she could just not say the word. It's like that hard. Uh, so go figure, this is the healthcare provider, right? But towards the end, things kind of cooled, uh, cooled down and everything. <laughs> um, the quality of uh, sexually productive health uh, services, again, fall short from human rights. We're going to see that in action in a little bit. And then the accountability mechanisms. We, uh, we have uh, quality control and um, assessments and, you know, professional development and continuing education credits. You all have to, like, go through this to stay competent. And, like, nothing um, 
of the sort exists, even in tertiary care, like sophisticated tertiary care hospitals. It, it all, it all, it, it's all local. It depends on who uh, is interested in, in uh, you know, uh, but they do not have in address, addressing quality of care, but they do not have to answer to any uh, uh, regulate, regulatory body. Um, um, so um, just kind of some numbers and then we'll get into specifics. So currently, uh, of the 125 million women in developing countries who give birth every year, 54 million do not receive adequate antenatal care. 43, and these are all like approximates, they're probably underestimated. Uh, do not uh, 34, 43 million do not uh, deliver in health facility. And if you are surprised, I... Uh, I work, um, kind of volunteered when I was in medical school, like you know, doing my internship in a garbage collector settlement in the outskirts of Cairo, an urban slum. And uh, there are seven of these, but this one was like kind of the largest. And, um, and um, it, uh, for the exception of, like there was a Mother Teresa clinic and another um, uh, Catholic charity clinic, a small lab, uh, there was like nothing uh, there. So I went around with a, a Spanish uh, nurse uh, midwife. Uh, we would go around and visit the, um, uh, uh, you know, homes and everything. And there was the uh, traditional birth attendants uh, who did the deliveries, basically. Uh, rusty razors and you go figure. Um, we got the UNICEF to do, they had, uh, Daya is the uh, local name for a tra TBA, traditional birth attendant, the UNICEF to do a pr training program, but sustainability was an issue because they were so uh, keen about, they were very careful about using this kit, the, uh, you know, the, um, uh, and so they did not, they were very conservative and they ended up not using it, kind of saving it, but, um, you know, so, but, um, anyway, so that is life. Um, and I mean, on the other hand, you can find in a, an upscale part of town a tertiary care hospital, but, you know, outrageously expensive. That's kind of hardly unaffordable. Um, uh, totally unaffordable, rather. Um, okay. Um, so millions do not receive, uh, of newborns do not receive care uh, uh, for medical complications. So lots of uh, totally avoidable lives are lost and, uh, and uh, disabilities that could have been prevented. Um, so the big million dollar question, does uh, medical and nursing training equip you to address uh, sexual reproductive health? Let's find out. Um, so can you guys see this? Yes. So, uh, okay. So I uh, searched the literature and I just got samples from the U.S., uh, England, and Canada, and then Australia. So in the U.S., uh, there is a, a wide recognition that sexual productive health um, is an essential component of primary care. Uh, uh, yet, its inclusion in uh, traditional, um, the transition of uh, nurse practitioners uh, 
to practice in, in uh, primary care is very low and inconsistent. So there is an urgency. That's a study uh, that was done by Simmons and Capello. They, they concluded that um, there is an urgency to that uh, uh, primary care providers de deliver competent uh, sexual reproductive health in the U.S. So in other words, they looked at the quality of sexual um, re reproductive health services, and it wasn't so good, and they digged into it, and it was attributed to lack of training um, and education. So that is echoed in England and Canada, uh, and medical educators. Um, so this group, the Commonwealth Medical Associ Association, uh, puts the responsibility on medical educators to train physicians and other health professionals and competencies uh, to address sexual productive health issues. Interestingly, when I was uh, stationed in Geneva, uh, I worked for WHO. One of the projects that I worked with was uh, actually to develop and incorporate a curriculum on adolescent um, health and development, mainly adolescent sexual reproductive health in medical schools because while you guys have adolescent medicine here, it's not, uh, it's not a specialty else, you know, for the most part in, in uh, major parts of the world. So they developed a, a model curriculum. I did not look into whether how it went through or how widely it's used, how uh, beneficial it was, but that was um, back in, in, in 03. Now, um, from Australia, uh, that, that's interesting because I think it, it, uh, it brings it home in a, in a way. So uh, healthcare providers, they, so in Australia they received, um, uh, at least in this uh, setting, a, um, considerable um, numbers of refugees and migrants, um, like it is the case in most states here. So um, whether they've been here a year ago or 20 years ago, I guarantee you, you will not see much uh, difference because sometimes, for the most part, um, especially when families move each other, they um, cling together, they do not uh, integrate, and they don't even speak English, and so they carry their set of cultures and pra pra practices and traditions, including female genital mutilation, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, and including... Um, uh, other uh, tough stuff that, uh, like um, inspection of virginity uh, before marriage um, against, you know, consent and all of that. Um, and that's uh, associated with uh, FGM, female genital mutilation. So, um, so developing country populations are here in the West. In, so in Australia, the healthcare providers had challenges to provide services for different reasons. Um, but they felt that, of course, you know, the cultural factors, maybe the language barriers is the easiest because you can work with an interpreter. But other cultural barriers uh, that are contributing factors include the fact that, uh, um, you know, a, a husband comes with the wife. He does the talking. She's quiet. She cannot disclose uh, certain things. I had an interesting experience. I was once, uh, uh, when I worked for Hopkins, I was uh, traveling to the Middle East. And um, anyways, they picked me up and they said, you have a neighbor um, who is a Hopkins professor. Do you mind if he shares a ride? I was flying out of D.C. I said, sure. And the guy was the uh, 
uh, Barry Golden, the father of autism, very uh, an amazing uh, uh, person. I mean, a kind of guru in his field. So uh, he was traveling to Saudi, and he was telling me about his experience. He is uh, he is from a Jewish uh, descent and uh, has two PhDs. One of them is in linguistics, so he's uh, um, the, the uh, alphabets, uh, like he can say the kha and the ayn and, you know, the stuff that we, uh, yeah. And so they kind of picked that up on him, but he was talking about the fact that the patient cannot talk. There is an entourage, and there is the, uh, the patient was a high, uh, level patient in the royal palace, and she could not talk. That was years ago. Um, and, um, you know, they silenced her. So he knew he was not getting accurate history, and it was like a delicate situation and all the rest. But so even in, in, in that level, like when all the kind of privacy and all of that is, is, um, is provided. So... So anyways, the, ch the challenge, this is all to say that there is a shortage in uh, sexual reproductive health training and education. It is proven, and people are doing something about it, slowly but surely. So, so that will kind of, if, if you know this in advance, you know, when you go to, a, your, say you're a, a pediatrician, you might have a, a, a bleeding woman, and you're it, you know, you're it. Uh, and everyone who's been in this field, those of you who've been there, can, you know, have your own, like, set of amazing stories. So there are, you know, tools to help you and equip, to help you prepare yourself if you have not had such an exposure or a training. So some of the challenges that you may face in, in, in working in a different setting or a developing country, unfamiliar uh, medications, maybe some medications that you stopped, you stopped using here in this country, but they are heavily used. Uh, antibiotics, you guys, you get a cough and you just go to the pharmacy. And I mean, people know their antibiotics. This is, uh, you know... Um, uh, you know, low-key, go for augmentin, and they go for, I mean, that's how, this is, oh, yeah, this is how it it works. And, um, and um, anyway, so that's unfamiliar medications, uh, uh, lack of equipment, um, availability and quality. You may not, uh, you know, you, you don't have an F FDA regulatory system to, uh, Check your X-ray machines and all the rest. Your, uh, you know, um, it's 20 years old. It stops, but they make it work. They put some wires. I mean, yeah, I've seen it in blood pressure uh, uh, monitors and everything. Um, uh, we talked about the cultural barriers that prevent patients from disclosing um, essential history um, information. Um, healthcare systems uh, challenges. We um, we talked about some of that. Um, the fact that there are no um, uh, regulatory bodies, the facilities, uh, the um, uh, uh, level and quality of the facilities. Um, you may have one, uh, what you call a quote unquote a hospital, and there is that one OR for everything: ophthalmology, uh, major surgeries, uh, you name it. It's uh, it's there. Um, the other thing that I have, um, it's, it's, 
it, it's being documented in the literature now, the economical challenges that push uh, migration out of the, So you lose your skilled workers. We've seen this forced migration in the Iraqi crisis where healthcare pro providers were killed, so everybody else kind of had to uh, flee, uh, even in areas where things were a little bit kind of um, manageable. But... Um, uh, but now the, the, situ the story is that, at least in the, I can speak for the Middle East, is that uh, uh, people are getting, they, they, um, medical students, they strive to get that training and internship, uh, fellowship, anything elsewhere in the West, and they never come back. Uh, they find a way, they never come back. And that is creating a huge gap in skilled, uh, you know, medical uh, professionals. There is also a shortage of, uh, uh, you know, physician per patient ratio. It's very, very low, um, uh, uh, again, in ur urban and rural areas um, alike. So, um, so the, you know, Western, uh, uh, is there an extracurricular um, clinical practice issues. Um, you know, Western practitioners have the um, reasonable concern that the knowledge base does not really meet reality. So let's take a look and uh, keep in mind that some of these issues that we're going to um, talk about are um, displayed here um, in this day and age. Um, so uh, I just want to kind of put things in perspective first. Um, Everything that we're going to talk about is the work of Satan who came to uh, steal, devour, and destroy. So he causes poverty, ignorance, and they degenerate disease. What we're going to talk about and what we've talked about so far is preventable, right? And it's uh, just a, a result of... Um, of uh, um, you know, greed, unequal distribution of power, and all the rest. Um, so let's uh, let's take a look at some of these issues. Uh, so, mistreatment uh, during childbirth. Have you ever heard of such a thing here? Yes. <laughs> yes. So um, many. Um, uh, I just. Um, I just try and read off of my screen here. So many women experience uh, mistreatment during pregnancy, um, during childbirth, rather. Um, four in ten women uh, uh, in the first, uh, uh, in the 15 minutes before birth. Uh, um, and sadly, I've seen some of that as an intern when you were, like, really... Uh, Powerless, like still, you know, uh, learning the the game and everything. section, um, uh, the percentage is higher, 56% uh, uh, episiotomy or unconsented uh, induction of labor um, for various reasons. So there is no such thing as consent, especially in rural areas. That's, I mean, that's the generic view, right? Like, th these are uh, 
effects, but it doesn't mean that everywhere is, you know, that, you know, that grim. But uh, needless to say, if you're in a, a nice tertiary care facility, the picture is going to be very different, but this is the people who need us and the people that you are more likely to kind of uh, get in touch with if, you, uh, if and when you go, when, when you go out there. Uh, neglect uh, during uh, childbirth, uh, especially if, um, you know, it's, uh, um, if, if, the, if it's like a second, third or um, more uh, um, uh, delivery. Um, so um, so here, is, here is one. What do you do uh, in these uh, situations? Um, uh, another one is um, complications of pregnancy and childbirth. Um, 830 uh, women die each day due to uh, complications of pregnancy and childbirth. Um, and, you know, there has been improvement, uh, uh, as you can see, between 1990 and uh, 2015. But um, uh, again, the fragile setting conflict and poor resource settings. Um, and there is the, um, you might have heard of the Millennium Development Goals that now are changing into sustainable development goals with um, a different set of uh, moving forward, uh, set of goals uh, to end poverty and other primary healthcare issues by the year 2030. So they have a new target um, to um, reduce uh, complications from pregnancy and childbirth. Um, here is the big one, the uh, uh, uncon you know, virginity test, uh, uh, testing and, um, uh, and uh, female genital uh, uh, mutilation. So, virginity, so female genital mutilation is basically cutting its, it's uh, uh, four grades. Um, we can have a whole session about that. I, I think a few years ago here they had a... Uh, there was a session dedicated on uh, female genital cutting, but it is a, a, a barbaric, uh, uh, non-medical procedure, procedure. It's not in medical books, uh, medical schools. It has no, it's unwarranted. It has no value whatsoever except for culture, cultural taboos that um, the, uh, they cut and sew uh, uh, female external genitalia to preserve the chastity of a girl until she gets married. Lo and behold, when she gets married, she goes through all sorts of uh, issues uh, with, you know, uh, uh, you name it, from uh, incontinence in to uh, uh, inability to even have sex to, uh, you know, even uh, uh, pelvic uh, inflammations and even death sometimes. And it's done to girls, like, at a very young age. Uh, and uh, it's practiced, the practice is, is prevalent in 30 countries in, in Africa and some countries in the Middle East. Egypt is uh, one of the countries that uh, widely practices female genital cutting. And I've had worked with doctors who say, oh, I'm going to do it to my daughter, doctors, medical doctors. Um, yeah. And guess what? So these people are migrating here. And guess what? They, in some settings, they still do that. And you know, they have their own networks, and lo and behold, in, in some settings, it's, it's done in the West. Um, 
Yes. So, uh, yeah. So uh, now there are, having said that, I, I can speak for Egypt. There, ha there have been incredible, uh, has been incredible work to um, fight this. And I've been in uh, areas, worked with people who have kind of really uh, come along and are, you know, like women would say, I've had it done to me. And I'm not going to do it to my daughters, and you know they preserve their kids, but it's still uh, it's still a problem. Uh, so um, so uh, you know you know even migrating health workers who come here or who come to uh, to the West, uh, they have to care with the women who left, live with FGM. Uh, consequences um, and um, you know some of these women are um, and these are some of the unmet needs also they're silent um, and when you talk about opportunity this is your opportunity they may not disclose such information information to the local health provider but when an uh, expat uh, comes in you know all the doors are uh, gates are open wide and you have an incredible opportunity to influence like beyond your wildest imagination um, with a little bit of uh, with you know your skill and your um, you know um, uh, compassion so um, uh, female genital cutting for uh, for uh, for levels um, still births um, uh, I think here we have like one every hundred um, deliveries is, is a, a stillbirth in contrast in the US in contrast to um, an estimated 2.6 million stillbirths every year you know pregnancy mainly due to SIDS um, in, in developing countries, uh, maternal infection, the, you know, the routine surveillance and uh, testing and all of that is, many countries still have a, way, a long way to go, especially in tough countries like in the Middle East, for example, because uh, because of the culture and of the taboo and of the religion mainly, they don't want, um, there is a lack of uh, acknowledgement uh, of that, you know, this is a, a problem uh, or it, it is a, um, it, too you know, too many factors come into play. It is contained. It's not, I mean, it is contained, but we don't really know the real picture. Uh, and again, uh, highly stigmatized uh, you know, you, you, you cannot disclose this, um, you know, this condition um, in, in general. Um, there are definitely um, counseling and testing centers, uh, confidential, but to get the person to, to go there um, is another story. Uh, the um, stillbirths, um, ha most, for the most part, occur in rural areas. 60%, 98% in low and middle income countries have occurred during labor um, and have occurred during settings of conflict, conflict of course. Um, so it is a neglected a tragedy and sometimes often, uh, uh, you know, un, undetected also. Um, now, adolescent, uh, adolescent health issues, um, Right now, I think there are 1.8 billion adolescents around the world, a jump from 1.5 in 2001. Uh, so every day, over 20,000 girls under the age of 18 give uh, birth in developing countries. 
uh, one in three girls in the developing uh, world is married before the age of 18. And again, the, sometimes the girl is too young, but they kind of go and give her a birth, whatever, certificate age, um, uh, in, in, to, you know, to marry her off and everything, uh, especially in poor resource families with a large number of children. If they have a, a, a girl is a burden, and so the best thing is to marry her off as early as possible, uh, devote the resources to educate the boys if you can educate them and, or um, have them win bread for the family and all of that. Um, so, yeah, um, and again, the vulnerabilities are mostly uh, gender-based because, because, you know, um, it's a girl, she's a girl. So, um, so the gender disparity is um, one of the main contributing factors to all uh, what we've talked about and to other uh, uh, reproductive and uh, sexual and reproductive health issues. Um, and that, uh, it is the dividing line in knowledge, behavior, and, and, and practice. Um, in, again, as I mentioned, boys get uh, uh, preference in education. The project that I was telling you, my mom conceived 30 um, years ago was stemming from the fact that girls are in urban slums are marginalized, they get abused, they might get uh, raped and uh, coerced into converting, changing their religion. So uh, solo, she talked to a couple of ladies from her, uh, from the church and prayer group and whatnot and uh, embarked on visiting. Uh, she worked in five urban slums, uh, one at a time to go visit the homes, invite the girls, um, provide the safe haven. You cannot do anything except through the church or through a Christian kind of boundary in, uh, in, in Egypt and um, uh, educate them with um, uh, literacy, provided uh, li uh, certified literacy, uh, hygiene, uh, health care, um, all the rest, um, and um, help to, you know, um, find them a job and raise uh, local leaderships and whatnot. So that is, these are some of the interventions that are now evidence-based to um, combat the um, um, vicious cycle of poverty and ignorance um, to help the girls to take care of, them, of themselves. I mean, they are in general powerless. They uh, did not... Uh, uh, they are taught to be suppressive. So if someone attacks you, you, you suppress, you submit to that. Um, uh, set, you know, these are the sad realities. And um, um, they have less negotiating power in uh, relationships, um, um, in, uh, um, and that results in nearly 2.2 to 1 HIV prevalence ratio between young uh, women and young men. Um, husbands can have other sexual partners and in, in, in sub-Saharan African countries uh, and in some Asian countries and also in the Middle East um, in some settings. Um, um, I will just kind of point out and it's, it's, it's something I encountered in my own experience in a uh, kind of tough Middle uh, yeah, Eastern country. Um, 
where I um, I was going through the UN to uh, look at the status of HIV, AIDS, and uh, adolescent sexual productive health nationally, and uh, we had to change the all our uh, materials and publications to put reproductive proceeding before sex, sex, because we couldn't say this word. And um, anyways, that. Um, so I was, uh, you know, there was this argument with a high uh, national health authority about what's called the uh, ORFI marriage. It's a, a man can take a woman, a young woman, and for the most part, for a day up to a year. She's not, it, uh, they write a paper that she's married, but she has no rights whatsoever. She gets pregnant for the most part. She's thrown out uh, with the child, HIV um, started to fuel heterosexually in this particular country, but there was no acknowledgement of it, and on it goes. So that these are the uh, factors that kind of come into this, come into play and cause uh, uh, um, uh, inequality. The other um, uh, big issue, big I guess, hot topic is it has been for a long, long time. Um, loads of money has has been. I mean, this country spent loads of money, uh, United States Agency for International Development, to provide contraception as a, as a fertility regulation method with education and empowerment and all the rest. There is still an, an unmet need. Um, as I mentioned, you know, large families, the lack of ability to regulate, you know, fertility. Um, for the various reasons uh, that we talked about. So investing um, in family planning, um, uh, every dollar you spend on contraception um, in developing regions saves $2.20 uh, $2. in maternal and newborn health. The World Bank um, and uh, uh, Gottmatcher Institute and UNFP have done uh, a lot of studies on that and um, Anyway, so that's another unmet need in, in terms of contraceptive, uh, uh, contraception um, uh, availability and, and use. Um, in, I'll, I'll speak for Egypt. This issue, um, uh, it came heavy in the uh, 80s and the 90s, but uh, it was, uh, 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 there was opposition, religious opposition, um, you know, to, uh, uh, to using contra uh, not non-Christian religious oppos opposition to use contraception. So um, now, contributing factors and um, health systems. Um, uh, I think I, I think we uh, covered these. The um, um, uh, the, the uh, challenges to the health systems. I'll just show you. Um, uh, just a, a, a quick overview of a, what does a health system look like in, uh, in the Middle East and one in a country from Africa. Uh, so it's, it's always fascinating has when, whenever I went to uh, ancient Egyptian temples and you see the – I remember I was in fourth year uh, medical school. I was studying surgical instruments, and boom, they were – flashed on one of the temples, uh, like the exact same instruments. I don't remember what they were now, but...
the uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> the Ministry of Health and Population is the major provider of health. The Ministry of Higher Education is responsible for medical education and service delivery. Um, Egypt has a wide uh, network um, of uh, a, a very good infrastructure of uh, public health and primary health care in uh, 28, I think, governorates and their um, surrounding towns and villages. Now, wh how they function, how well they are, they're well established, but of course they have the challenges that we, uh, we talked about. Um, I'll just give you a recent uh, uh, experience um, in a tertiary uh, care hospital that works uh, on kidney transplants. Uh, the radiology department they sent a patient to the, uh, to the radiology department and the uh, resident um, said that, oh, it's too cold, let's do it tomorrow. And the patient said, I will kind of witness that uh, in a way. It, uh, they said, no, we, let's do it to, tonight, we need to do it tonight. Lo and behold, the radiology department closes at 9 because the technician goes home. And that is a hospital that, uh, so anyways, you, that is an example, but you can have the other extreme of, you know, perfectly functioning places as well. Uh, okay, maternal and child health services, communicable disease control, environmental health, and health education. In contrast, Tanzania is a rural um, a rural country, so they work, uh, they have... Um, Rural health centers headed by a uh, medical officer and an assistant. The medical officer is not a physician, but they liaise with the physician. And then the villages have uh, auxiliary posts that are seen by the medical center. And these are the basic functions that they do, diagnosis, treatment, environmental health. Um, um, so I think we talked about, covered most of the uh, uh, contributing factors to the health gaps in the health system that makes it so uh, different from uh, what we're uh, used to here. And that is challenging for us when we go and practice in a, uh, in a developing country setting. Um, and, uh, and there is also uh, an important one is the lack of perception among hospital personnel that they have. There is the hierarchy, you know, the position and uh, whatnot. But the uh, technician is not seen as important, as a key, you know, person uh, as the uh, other uh, uh, healthcare providers. Um, uh, sometimes the lingering political unrest, the economic uh, uh, fall down, there is no budget. So, uh, num the dollar spent on healthcare in uh, developing countries is uh, meager so compared to uh, you know, European, North American, and uh, uh, other Western countries. Um, yeah, I think I talked about that. Um, so let's talk about uh, resources and opportunities. And I think we are doing very well with time. So we'll have, you know, time for questions and discussions and um, uh, so resources and opportunities. I looked up some of these resources I'm familiar with. There is a, a load out there, but just to kind of uh, uh, play with um, some of
uh, have embedded photos or videos. Um, the problem with apps is that they are not uh, quality checks are not. I mean, you uh, the, the quality is uh, is offered for the technical aspect, but for the um, information aspect, that is, there's just, we don't know. Um, so, so I always resort to ones that are uh, provided or recommended by CDC or NIH or the Institute, um, uh, National Institute of Medicine, uh, um, British National um, uh, Health System. Um, uh, there is, uh, CTC has a, also a cool uh, site, um, uh, reference books uh, or e-books um, uh, related to uh, uh, poor resource uh, uh, settings. Um, uh, there is a, a British um, a website that's also very cool, e-learning for healthcare. Um, and it's the uh, Health Education uh, of England program in partnership with the, National Health, the British National Health System. And I'm telling you guys, go visit the British sites. They have some really, really cool stuff, and they're not, like, crazy or, like, they're really, like, on track and everything. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, so I, I found lots of help there. Um, uh, on, on many, uh, many topics. Now, um, there are also uh, uh, programs that uh, will do assessment and certification. The Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine is the one that I uh, participated in teaching. So what, I, what I've done was a, uh, the program that we developed in WHO equipping healthcare providers to address adolescent sexual reproductive health. We had it accredited by the, uh, or uh, endorsed rather, by the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and had it um, as a standalone course in the uh, diploma, reproductive health diploma that's offered by the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. So it, and they have some time, like they have a, an on combined online. It was totally live when I did it. It was really, really cool. And this is where that Asian physician who could not say sex um, uh, was, was there. And it, it was just, an, uh, you know, incredible experiences. Um, so we had a mix of, like, from all over the world, um, North America, Canada, um, UK, um, um, Africa, Asia, um, as students. Um, Okay, the other one is the uh, uh, Faculty of Sexual and Productive Health Care. Um, they also have a uh, website and, and some uh, uh, programs there. So some of the, uh, like, credible um, resources that you can, um, as a sample, that you can tap onto. Okay, now, the most important stuff in this whole time is that you, as a person, each and every one of you, matter in God's book. Based on my experience, my very humble experience, I believe that you are not here uh, by accident. You may hear this time and again, believe it, because uh, the first time I came here was in 014, and I know I did not come by accident, and God is... Um, shaped me, um, blessed me uh, in ways that I would uh, have never dreamt of uh, just by being here and keeping the uh, 
uh, ears and eyes open. Um, so make the most out of this time and network and talk to people and ask questions and explore opportunities and don't think this is beyond me because it is not beyond you because it's not about you, it's about God. Um, uh, so uh, I got this quote from Winston Churchill. He said, continuous effort, not strength or in, nor intelligence, uh, intelligence is the key to unlocking um, our potential. But I would say it's the key to unlocking God's power um, and his potential in your life. Your continuous effort in, in seeking God and what he wants uh, from you and your life. It's very, med- the medical nursing field is very, very tough. Because you are bred uh, differently in the secular world. And if you do not uh, keep God at the center, it's very easy to get carried away and from what you know, this gift is all about. It is to bless you, but it, it's also to make you a blessing to others. And uh, I just love this conference because it raises awareness. I mean, it, it challenges us to think beyond uh, what we thought, you know, the little dream we had for our lives. But from what I learned, uh, as, as tormenting as it is for me, you know, from my mom, uh, my mom's passing is that her life was not about her. It was about Christ. And she was just shining and giving away uh, throughout her life, even when uh, she was totally uh, challenged um, uh, with, with disease. Um, now, um, uh, your focus, uh, make your focus is Christ. Um, and the fact that you are his ambassador and the, uh, think of yourself, study ambassadors. How they talk, how they walk, how they think. Um, Know who you are, who you're working for. It will make a huge difference. Um, again, another uh, one from John MacArthur is that um, you're the only um, Bible um, that some unbelievers will ever read. Uh, I'll just give you this recent experience from my mom's service. Uh, we have uh, the kind of uh, we have the American University of Cairo. Believe it or not, it used to be a, uh, a, a Christian, or a, uh, was established by missionaries, but it's, it's, it's a very uh, prestigious university. The president of the Alumni Association is a, uh, my brother works for him, with him. Um, my brother is the vice president. He came to the service. And he called my brother, and he's from a different religion, and he called my brother and he said, the minute I stepped in, I felt love. I felt an overwhelming um, presence and sensation of love. And I wanted to, from what I've heard about your mother, I wanted to, I wished I I could uh, know her. I felt that I already love her. But I also was determined to find out who is this woman? Where did she come from? Why is everyone so sure about where she's going? Uh, And I, you know, he was talking about the hymns. I I sang with everybody. I read the words. And so there you have it. Uh, Let's see. um, And I'm concluding here. Um, Okay. Okay. You have, this is one thing that we often uh, 
neglect unintentionally. Um, you have the authority, remember, Satan is here to uh, devour and destroy, but you have the authority uh, to restrain the power of darkness, with your, not only with your skill, but with who you are in Christ. And because Christ has done it on the cross for you, and he, this power is transcendent to you. So let's, uh, let's read the two verses aloud, uh, one at a time. So uh, uh, let's start with Luke uh, 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them an authority to drive demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The second one, um, I have given you authority to trample on snakes, scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So Jesus delivers and he sets free and he won the victory and he empowers you. So it's all yours if you want it. So I would highly recommend that you do because otherwise you'll, you'll miss out on a lot. Um, I have two more slides, but I'll just stop here and see if you guys have any questions. Or comments or anything. Yes, Uh, there were some tools that we worked on, and I can, if I get your um, info, contact info, I can uh, shoot that to you. But uh, you, usually you will have, a, a, you know, an orientation. I mean, you will definitely, if, when you go out, before you go out, you'll have an orientation. And uh, Oh, there is one story. I have to tell you this, you guys, because <laughs> in a way it will uh, address some of you what you're talking about. Okay, so it happened, I was here last year, right? And I had this lovely girl. I know she's around. She's back this year. And she wanted to talk to me. And we met over for coffee. And she's a nurse. And she's interested in missions. And she's interested in ah, contemplating Egypt. And the, the way she got through this is she went online. And she got information from the exhibitors here. And she, you know, kind of got sort of, uh, she was in between, I think, Jordan and Egypt. She's gone into a couple of short-term missions in the Middle East, and her heart was set on Egypt. She, um, okay, so she said, uh, oh, I might come and, you know, visit and stuff, and I said, sure, you know, let me know, and I get a text, and she's like, are you around in January or whenever, yeah, uh, March, I think it was, and I said, sure, and come, and she came, and uh, I was there, and she stayed with us, um, and uh, she went uh, to the designated place, and um, she asked God, if you want me to go, I need to sell my house. She had a house that uh, was three blocks away that is far superior than hers. It was in the market for three months. Hers was in the market for three days. She sold it. She's raising funds. She's going back. God used this interaction here to, you know, uh, help us kind of do, I didn't do anything, but the fact that I was, you know, there or whatever support we could provide. 
and um, she's going <laughs> soon. So, um, anyways, there are when you are there. Um, God will do the work. I mean, you will have the tools, but God will do the work. You people just love it. They open up, and I, as I as I mentioned, they are uh, not uh, uh, they. For several cultural uh, factors, they will shy away from speaking to a native. I mean, they definitely form rapport and everything, but it's easier sometimes uh, for tougher clients to open up to, uh, you know, a volunteer or someone who's, especially someone who is mirroring, you know, God's love. Uh, It just kind of opens doors. Yes. Uh, professional address issues uh, concerning rape cases and women and, and rape. ladies in different countries. Rape cases? Yeah, rape cases. Uh, that's a very, very tough one because they do not, uh, they do, they, they do not uh, get. Uh, there is no reporting system. Like again, the world is against you if you're the victim. You know, the rape, the rape victims in the Maldives, for example, I witnessed this. They, they get imprisoned, they deliver in the prison, they're beaten and all of that. It depends where, what part of the world you're in. But um, there is no system where you can report rape. The, the most vulnerable group I, uh, over the past couple of years, I uh, was a... Uh, principal investigator of a multi-country study that looked at the situation of uh, sexual productive health issues of migrants, youth, um, and so I, you know, was working in Egypt. And there are, you know, they cannot report it. I'll tell you that flat out. Uh, so it, 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 and that's what, this is where the importance of skill comes in, you know, clinical skill and and, um, you know, cultural, um, uh, cross-cultural communication. So you can help this person to the best of your availability, ability and available resources. Uh, you might have, uh, I mean, a psychologist. I mean, I don't know. It depends on the setting. But, uh, yeah. Any more questions? Thank you, guys. You feel free to go, but I'll uh, hang out here if anyone um, has other questions. Thank you. Thank you.